All right, we are back for the, I believe, week nine edition of the Softy Hawk Blogger podcast, but really, who's counting? Uh, we're talking Seahawk football every week uh, right here on the podcast, and uh, joining us, as always, is our buddy from hawkblogger.com, the Hawk Blogger himself. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, Brian Nemhauser. How are you, man? I'm good. What's going on, Softy? Uh, well, the Seahawks can't run the ball at all, uh, <laughs> don't even want to run the ball at all. And uh, now Michael Bennett's out for three games uh, with a knee injury. Other than that, everything's great. Yeah, hunky-dory, losing to, to a 2-4 and four team. Everyone's happy. Yeah. Well, I was more upset about the offense. We'll chat about that in a second, though, because I think everybody would love to hear about your New Orleans Bourbon Street experience, man. Oh, man, it, it was great. It's the first time I was ever in New Orleans. Um, obviously, being there during Halloween was uh, made it even more unique of an experience. Yeah. Uh, but... Yeah, I mean, Bourbon Street, I don't know if there's any way to describe it without being there. It's it's really like Disneyland for adults, and, yeah. and people talk about Vegas that way. But Vegas is like, you know, it's all fake, right? But right. New Orleans is real. I mean, Genuine, it's like, yeah. It's a real place, like, with real people and real culture surrounding it. And the people there are just awesome. They're all, you know, the, the, the art that's there, the music that's there, the drinking that's there, the architecture. Um, it was just great. I must have walked, like, 50 miles uh, that weekend. It was crazy. Well, that's the really cool thing about New Orleans is Bourbon Street is about, what, a 10-minute walk or so from the Superdome, not not far at all. I I refer to it, by the way, as Disneyland for perverts. Uh, That's uh, that's what I call it. But (laughs) It definitely can be. No, it's uh, it's unreal. But listen, man, that that game on Sunday, uh, and it sounds like you and I might disagree on a few things uh, based on your Twitter feed during the game. Uh, You're facing a defense in the Saints that is not good at all, and this offense, bottom line, goes for 13 points. Uh, That's not good enough, man. Yeah, look, I mean, I think that that it's not that I think the offense is playing fantastic football, so it's a little different. I think think part of what I'm reacting to, Softy, is this this trolling, you know, negativity that is just – you know, pervading, um, you know, Seahawks fans. Um, it's, you know, Twitter is known for that kind of stuff, but any comment section kind of gets that stuff going. And honestly, I'm just, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of, I'm sick of assuming that, you know, picking apart every part of this team is going to make them better in some way or make me feel better in some way or make me superior. I think that I'd rather find opportunities to cheer for them, find things that I believe are improving um, and hope that that's going to be enough to turn things around. And honestly, you know, I'm happier for it. I'm not going to let other people convince me otherwise. And two, I would just say that this team, if you if you really look at this team, put some faith in them. I mean, what have they done to give you any reason to do anything else? Every year, they have essentially gone from being you know a troubled offensive team in the first half to a dominant offensive team by the end of the year, and they haven't always had Marshawn Lynch and they haven't always had an offensive line. So, you know, I think that, that there's reasons to be optimistic and I can tell you some specifics about why there should be reasons to be optimistic, even from last week's game. Well, and we can talk about that in a second, but I, I mean, first of all, who, who are you referring to uh, as far as people that are hitting the panic button and wanting to flush the season? Who fans? Oh, absolutely. Okay. You know what? Stop giving the lunatic fringe so much damn attention, will you, for crying out loud? Because there's a lot of people out there who still believe that, hey, look, man, the the quarterback is banged to bits. Offensive line has had all kinds of issues the entire season. You're without Michael Bennett. You've been without Cam Chancellor. 
Uh, you got a tight end coming off major reconstructive surgery over the offseason going back to last year. Uh, and you're still in first place in this division. So I think they in some ways have kind of already survived the storm, don't you? Well, I can't, I can't say that. I mean, they've got they've got to get through. You See, know, here I am trying to be positive, just like you, and you crap all over me, man. <laughs> I'm going to crap. Ridiculous. No, I, I'm a realist. I'm definitely a realist, but I definitely look for, for where things can get, get, oh, get better. Dude, you're killing me. You know that? Well, you're killing well, me. You, know you just got be- done telling me that there's all these great things that people aren't talking about. I'd tell you how positive I am, and you, get, you, know, you just crap all over me. All right. You're right. You're right. I, I am sorry, Softy. You're right. That is what we should all feel. I will tell you what I think. Right. And you can tell me where, yeah. you know, if you agree or not. But I mean, what I was reacting to in your statement was, look, we're not through. We got to get through Buffalo, New England and Philadelphia the next three weeks. This is this is the toughest stretch. I'm convinced this is the toughest stretch of football that any team has faced. In the last, I don't know how many years. I mean, I think, and I'm not talking about these these three games. I'm talking about from Atlanta through um, Philadelphia. Right. I mean, this is this is just a brutal stretch of football. So that's what I was referring to. But yes, I, I think that they are starting to get healthier. So I think that's true. And I'll tell you, like um, this team on Sunday, 39.9 yards per drive, not. Amazing, but guess what? That's their highest mark of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, hadn't been over 30 yards to drive in any game since San Francisco. Uh, they had 6.6 yards per play on Sunday, the highest they've had all season. Um, and you can say it was a trick play, but they had 4.4 yards per carry on the ground. That was also their highest of the season. They had a 45% conversion rate on third downs, which mm-hmm. was their second best mark of the year. Mm-hmm. 359 yards of total offense was their second best. Mm-hmm. They only gave up one sack. Th- sack. They're now seventh in the NFL in, in yeah. opponent sack rate. And, you know, really, this was about one for three performance in the red zone and a missed opportunity to field goal at the end of the first half. Or you would have talked about a team that would have scored 30 or more points in this game and would have won. Okay. So, you know, I think there are correctable things. I think that Russell Wilson looked as healthy as I've seen him moving around. I think Tyler Lockett looked as healthy, healthy as I've seen him since the second game moving around. And I think C.J. Procise looked like a guy that deserves more time and, and is getting better. So, you know, yeah, I do think there's reasons to, to believe that the team can take a step forward. It's going to be really tough against a great Buffalo defense. Okay. Um, I mentioned a second ago that you're killing me, and you're still killing me because you're playing both sides of the fence here. So if you're going to play both sides of the fence, then yeah, I get to play both sides of the fence, okay? okay. Because here's my deal. First of all, I, I can really see, honestly, both sides of this. I see the optimist and I see the pessimist side of things. Number one, the optimist, and what I meant by weather the storm, is that they've had all – as many issues as an NFL team can have in the first seven games of the year. And they've won four of those games and they're a chip shot field goal away from winning five of them. So in that regard, I think they've been pretty damn good considering the circumstances. Okay. Then then I agree with that. Okay. The pessimist in me says, well, wait a minute here. Okay. They got this brutal stretch coming up. I don't know if Russell Wilson can get to 95% health. uh, If there's no buy the rest of the way, Number two, they are horrific at running the football. They don't even try to run the football. Kristen Michael had three carries in the first half of the game on Sunday with the Saints. Uh, Their yards per attempt number is as low as it's been in well over a decade. 
And now we're talking about C.J. Procise maybe getting more opportunity. Thomas Rawls, when he comes back, maybe for the Patriot game. It just kind of feels to me like the running game is the key to all this, man. The time of possession's way down on offense. And I'll tell you what else is killing these guys is these holding penalties, dude. I mean, this year, they are on pace for 37 holding penalties. They had 21 two years ago and 24 last year. So if this offensive line doesn't figure out how to block without getting called for a flag, uh, they won't be able to run the ball because they'll be in first and 20 all day long. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I think there's, there's, uh, there's a fix for that. I think there's a couple things to think about that. So, so I don't think that's that pessimistic, to be honest. I think that, that is, is true. I mean, they, they, it's not, though, that they – we have this conversation every week. I don't think it's that they can't run. Tell me at the, 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 the first drive of the second half of that game. I got it right here. It six straight times. Right. And then Every Kristen Michael six yards or more, right? Well, uh, C. Mike went for nine, seven, eight, uh, ten, and minus three, five for thirty-one on that drive. He carried the ball twice the rest of the game. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, though. Like they they can run the ball. They average four point four yards per carry. They won't bleeping run the ball. Okay, let's and stop so, right so there. Then different. why? Why not? Because you see the four point four. I see the four point four. Pete Carroll sees the 4.4. Daryl Bevel sees the 4.4, yet they still don't run the ball. Is it really all about penalties, just killing drives and taking them out of situations where they can run? Or do you believe, like I do, that these guys look at Kristen Michael and just don't have any confidence in him whatsoever? Ah, oh, man. Uh, you know, it's, it, 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 it could be any of those things. You and I talked last week. I think, it's, I think it absolutely has to do with Kristen Michael. There is some reason that they will not fully lean in there, and I don't understand it because, you know, when they've given him the ball, every time he's had the ball, you know, 16 or, or 20 times in a game, he's produced every time. You look throughout his career, he's done it. Um, but I think it also has to do with amount of faith and confidence in the offensive line and their ability to coordinate and, and get off the ball. I also think it has to do with the fact that they're believing right now that their short passing game is their best way to get, you know, yards on first down. And so that that's what they're choosing to do. Yeah. And then they're getting in situations where it's not working and they're in third and long and they can't run from the, you know, those situations. So I really, I look at what Arizona and what New Orleans did the last two weeks. Neither one of those teams are fan- – I mean, New Orleans especially, not a great running team. One of the worst running teams in the NFL, as a matter of fact. But what they did, they only averaged three and a half yards a carry, but they ran on first down almost every time. They ran on second down a significant number of times, and they wound up with third and four through third and six. Every third down of over six yards in that game, they didn't convert. They were over. Mm. But what they did is they got in third and manageable, and they trusted their quarterback to convert, and – Carson Palmer was in a similar situation. I don't know why the Seahawks, knowing what this team has done in the past, would not do the same thing. Yeah, I it just, doesn't make any logical sense. Well, you go back to just the lack of faith in the run game, and here's what kind of bothers me. If, if they don't like Kristen Michael, then get him out of there and give the ball to C.J. Procise, who I think has a great future in the NFL, and I think you agree with that as well. Yep. And then Thomas Rawls coming back. We'll see what happens, but he, he's got a lot to prove, man, coming off the injury. They're, when they get to first and 20, I get it. First and 15, I get it. Throw the ball. First and 10, okay? In 2013, the year they won the Super Bowl, they ran the ball 55% of the time on first and 10. That number is down to 42%. 
So even when they're in a manageable run situation to really get the ground game going and set up Russell with a nice situation on second or third down, they're not even doing it then. So if they don't like Kristen Michael, then get him out of here and give the ball to the rookie from Notre Dame. Yeah, no argument here. No argument at all. I, I I don't think you get argument inside that locker room. And I think that that if you you know you talk to you get to talk to the players you know if you ask them I think they might not be able to answer you but I think you'd see on their faces they don't know why um, and and I think it's a question for for Daryl Bevel I think it's a question for Tom Cable um, you know and, and those are the guys that ultimately are responsible for this stuff so it's a play call and it's not coming in for some reason and there's not a good reason that I can think of for it yeah. so they absolutely have to get back to it. And here's the other thing, Softy, that people don't really understand about the impact there. It's not just about getting a running game going. The Seahawks' explosive plays, a significant percentage of them come off of play-action passes, come off of bootlegs, which are play-action plays. They get big explosive plays because they've established their run game. So what they've done now, they've basically taken away the threat of the run, and they can't do the big play passes that they've been used to and it leaves them with a the very feeble offense. So you've got to have these two things work together. They have to know that. That's what Pete Carroll mm. has written as his philosophy for offense. So I, I just I can't keep saying it, but I don't understand. I, there is not a good reason why, other than maybe it has to do with Russell's health. Yeah. I, but, you know, why can't he hand off the ball if he's unhealthy? I don't know. It's hard to say. I just, um, uh, Brian, and again, Brian Nemhauser, Hawk blogger with us here. The the run game to me is the absolute key to everything the Seahawks do. I'm not just talking about offensively. I'm talking about defensively, okay? I mean, obviously, the Seahawks red zone defense last week was pretty damn good. 25 points against Drew Brees. I think a lot of people would have been okay with that number before the game on Sunday. But you can't get off the field on third down, maybe partially because you're gassed. I mean, this this defense has played 82 minutes of football in the last two games. And when you can't run the ball and you're going three and out and your defense is going right back out there, I mean, these guys should be taking freaking oxygen masks with them to the to the field because they're out there so much. So if they can't run the ball, man, uh, they could never, to me, expect to get the best their defense has to offer. Well, let's hope that that's a place where they can get some improvement this week. They're facing a Bills offense that ranks 26th in the NFL in third down conversions. And before the Seahawks played Carson Palmer and Drew Brees, they were, you know, number one in the NFL in holding teams down on third down. They were doing, you know, fantastically in that regard. You know, they need to help get the ball back to the offense. They need to help themselves get off the field. And part of that is, you know, not giving up. You know, I was writing about it on Sunday you can't give up three yards or four yards to, you know, people on first down on a run. You just can't do that. It's got to be one or two yards at most. Um, and, and they're going to have to do that again and force a guy like Tyrod Taylor to beat them on third down. And he's not nearly as equipped to do that as, yeah. as a Breezer or Palmer. Well, uh, because of the next three games, uh, th- this feels like a big one on, uh, on Monday night. And uh, Percy Harvin, everybody talking about Percy Harvin coming back. I mean, come on, man. Really? Give me a break. When in the world has, has a guy like that really been the difference in a game against the Seahawks? I'm not even sure if this guy's going to play on Monday night. And even if he does, I, I just can't see this guy doing much. You know, maybe as a kick returner, Yeah. you know, like the guy's gifted there. Um, you know, he was never a great receiver. I mean, he, he, he may be a play. They are so thin at receiver, 
um, anybody would, would be helpful there. But I don't even know that that's the story. I think the, the stories that I see in that game are uh, their run offense yeah. and, you know, whether the Seahawks can hold them down. If you hold them below 100 yards, they lose. Oh, for, yeah. They're 0 for 3. 0 for 3 this season. Put when the that game happens. in the hands of Tyrod Taylor, man, for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. This is not a good passing team, and they're even worse now. By the way, 29th ranked sack rate. Uh, in the NFL going against the, you know, for Seahawks defense is the fourth ranked pass rush in the NFL. So there's a chance for some plays there. And then I think you got a situation on, on offense where this is a just vicious um, pass rushing team. And now they got Marcel Darius back. And so I think they're a pretty good run stuffing team as well. Um, this is a tough game for the offense to make the turn. And if they're able to, yeah. It would be pretty meaningful. I'm going to give you my almost midseason MVP of the Hawks, okay? Right. And see if you agree with this. Uh, everybody does the midseason. We'll do the almost midseason MVP. I think it's 56 on defense, and it's not even close. I mean, what this guy is doing this year, he's playing like a guy who knows he's got a shot at a $20 million contract next year. Uh, he's doing it without Michael Bennett uh, in the last game and a half or so. Uh, he, he looks like he's playing the best football of his career right now. I think Cliff Averill's playing great. He's an easy guy to cheer for. He, you know, as you know, he's, he's a fantastic guy as well. But here uh, we go. But, but, uh, I would go with Bobby Wagner. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Bobby Wagner's having his best season. Um, I think he's playing, uh, uh, I mean the amount of plays he's making, um, all over the field, not only pressuring the passer, but, making plays as uh, in coverage. Um, his tackling has been outstanding. Um, you know, he saw the block field goals on special teams. I mean, I think he's having a – he's not quite having a defensive player of the year type of year, but he's a few more big plays away from being in that conversation. I think he's having yeah. a Luke Keekley type of year. You know, we, uh, we brought this conversation up on the show yesterday, Kevin and I did, uh, about coaches being able to challenge whatever they wanted to. And when you bring up a conversation like that, most people say, no, you can't do that because that just drags the game out. Well, we're not talking about adding challenges. You still get your two challenges per game, but you can use it on whatever you want. Uh, for example, the pick play on the goal line by Sneed, the pick play by Sneed on third and five from the Seahawks 44, uh, the guy getting pushed out of bounds, high tower uh, with about two and a half to go. There are three or four plays in that game on Sunday, going back to the Saints game, Brian, where I would have loved to have been able to challenge that play because I think all of them, if not almost all of them, would have gotten overturned. Uh, I I think coaches should be able to challenge whatever they want. I mean, you can use your challenge on whatever you want to use it on, but it's your one or two challenges. What's your take on that? I 100% agree. I mean, <laughs> makes for boring, uh, you know, radio dialogue, but I I, I do. I I never understood the logic of of you know, limiting what someone could challenge. If you've, if you've got a limit on the amount of challenges, you don't also need a limit on what they can challenge. Correct. Um, yeah. You know, maybe there are certain things that are judgment calls that you don't want to allow to be challengeable. Why not? Why not? Um, if, if a coach wants to take a risk like that, then that's on him. Yeah, I mean, I could be talked into that as well. I mean, it, it's, it's not something that I feel particularly, uh, you know, strong about one way or another in terms of, of uh, allowing those things. But I just look at it and say, um, is the game better off having the wrong outcome? And, and I don't think it is. Um, so then it's really a question of, you know, whether coaches are going to take advantage of those challenges. I yeah. think they would. Yeah. So.
Well, I tell you what, people that say no to that idea all say a lot as well that they want it. They like the idea of the human element being involved. And I guess my take is on that. First of all, if you've only got two challenges per side per game, the human element will always be a part of it no, w- without question. And then number two, what you're saying is that you want room in the game for mistakes, which I don't get that. No, when this as much as on the line, I mean, it was, it was hard. I, like, so I agree with you on all that. Um, one thing I'll throw out here and, and then a second is you, you said Cliff Averill getting, you know, 20 million next year. You know that he's still under contract next year, right? I, okay. I, I th- that's why sure. I said he's playing like a guy. Okay. I just he's playing sure, like you know, a guy I, who's going into a free agent year, who's playing for a $20 million dollar contract. I had yeah. to go look at the no. five-year roster yeah. outlook that yeah. you made me create on the site and, and just double check that. Has but, that been updated by the way in the last two absolutely, years? Absolutely. It's okay. updated. You go up there and check it. Seahawks, uh, <laughs> five-year roster outlook but um the other thing i'd say is what i think russell played a really bad game last week Mm. i i think that you know maybe really bad is too strong but i think that he made plays that lost that game as much as anything the refs did i thought his interception that he threw was a horrible decision i was sitting almost behind him i can't believe he chose to throw it into that traffic and then he threw it behind the receiver enough to where the linebacker could make a play that game, that play, the game turned on that play. Then, um, you know, his decision uh, down in the red zone, um, you know, where he went with C.J. Proceis, turned what should have been three plays from the 18-yard line in the end zone yeah. to one play yeah. with four seconds, you know, four seconds left in the end zone. They had to throw it to Curse. Like, I think that he made three really, really inexcusable decisions for a player of his caliber, and I think that's as much as anything what cost us the game. Well, he's also getting no help from his run game and maybe even his coaching staff in that regard. So, uh, look, he's, he's, he's played better. There's no doubt about that. I mean, the fade route to Curse just drove me bananas. You know, come on. I mean, you got, you got Doug out there. You got Jimmy out there. Uh, you got to find a way to get the ball to one of those two guys. Uh, safety's creeping up and bird there. Maybe there wasn't enough time to change the route and call a post or a slant for Jermaine. But if you're telling me that you're putting the game on the line in the hands of a fade route, really to anybody, first of all, and then second of all, to Jermaine, uh, that's not his deal, man, at all. And then to throw it so far that the only that he couldn't even come down and bounce forget it. it. Right, forget it. Yeah. But do yourself a favor, mm. or maybe it wouldn't be a favor. <laughs> Go back and look at my Monday morning column, and I have two p- images from the end zone for the play where he threw it to C.J. Proceis yeah. on second down from the 18. Yeah. There was three players wide open, including Tyler Lockett running to wide open space in the end zone, mm. Doug and Jimmy running to wide open space in the sideline, and he chooses to throw it down the middle to C.J. Procise and nearly doesn't even get the next playoff. Yeah. You know so, what? Just just cut his ass now. Just be done with it. Forget about it. The guy's a bum. Move oh, on. Oh, come on. Don't be the Twitter guy. <laughs> it, it, I have high expectations for the guy making that much money and, and that is capable. We've seen do so much better. So, you know, I don't ever want it to get to where it's just he's injured. He can't play better. Yeah. Those were mental mistakes, yeah. and he's got to be better. All right, buddy. Great stuff. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Softy. You got it, man. Hawk Blogger with us every week on the podcast. Thanks for checking it out. Uh, Be back next week on 950 KJR.